welcome to Changing Academic Life. I'm Geraldine Fitzpatrick, and this is a podcast series where academics and others share their stories, provide ideas, and provoke discussions about what we can do individually and collectively to change academic life for the better. This conversation is with Eunice Sari. Dr. Sari is the CEO and co-founder of UX Indonesia, which is the first UX research training and consultancy company based in Indonesia. And this is among many other first roles and achievements that uh, Eunice can claim. She has more than 15 years of experience working in academia and industry. In this conversation, Eunice shares her career trajectory working and studying in Indonesia and Denmark, Finland and Australia. A common pattern is, as she calls it, making trouble and seeing new possibilities, whether this is applying participatory design methods to service design before it was a thing, or starting a UX company in Indonesia where people had never really heard of UX previously. What also comes through are interesting cultural aspects, whether it's about working around career expectations for her as a girl in Indonesia, or having to rethink her management strategies, strategies that work in Western contexts, but she's had to rethink um, for how to apply them in her company. Eunice makes trouble, though, not for trouble's sake, but to make a difference, and she's passionate about service and what she calls building society and talks about that. She also shares her personal routines and strategies for managing all that she does and how having to work from home because of COVID-19 is actually a blessing in disguise for her. I hope you enjoy this. Eunice, thank you very much for joining me today. Really appreciate the time. Because I know that you've already done a whole lot of work before you've got on this call and we're talking at your nine o'clock in the morning. So <laughs> thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I mean, first question, how are you going with all of the COVID times and how's that working out for you personally? Oh, well, it's kind of a mix because uh, personally, uh, in terms of uh, personal well-being, Mm. It's actually okay. Uh, yeah. It's better actually because I could spend more time at home and then see the kids and then I don't have to travel. So it's something that I haven't got for many, many years. Um, right. So it is good. Yeah. So in terms of uh, family, was in my um, core family, it's good. But I have a bit of worry about uh, my parents and uh, my friends and everybody who are in Indonesia or anywhere else who are really affected by COVID. And um, in terms of work, uh, it has a lot of impacts on my work. I, uh, I, do, I have to do digital transformation, so we have to do everything digitally mm. and uh, we have to change the way we work. Yeah. And a lot of people, like a lot of my staff, they are not ready because in Indonesia we are used to have a face-to-face relationship. People would understand better the uh, thing what they need to do uh, just by sitting next to each other and then doing things together. And this is really challenging for the last couple of months. Uh, my We did a study on uh, work from home for my staff as well as the people in Indonesia. And the result is uh, really uh, alarming that the people don't really like working from home. Right. So, so but there are nothing much we can do. Uh, yeah. So we have we just need to accept the fact that this is this new normal that uh, working from home is not an option anymore. It's something that we have to do because there are a lot of companies are being closed mm-hmm. at the moment. A lot of uh, big companies are being closed because the government come to their um, their offices and uh, they don't they just like a don't really like a comply with just one out of many things that um, the government asks them to do and they are closed and the and business this is stopped. in Indonesia you're talking about yes yeah. yes so we we should 
back up a bit for people because you've introduced lots of different variables there. Um, yeah. One of the one of the reasons why I was really interested to chat with you is you have a fascinating career because you it seems like you did your your bachelor in education in Indonesia. And yes. if I read your bio correctly, not long after you completed that, you started up this company um, mm -hmm. doing UX, user experience research in Indonesia. Um, and then later on, some years later, you go and do a, a, a master's in Denmark. And then again, <laughs> some years later, again, you do a PhD in Edith Cowan University in Perth in education. So, um, and you're living in Perth now, right? Yeah, that's right. So, talk us through all of these, you know, and all, all through the master's degree and PhD, you're also running this company in Indonesia. Mm -hmm. Can you just talk us through how you came to set up the company? Oh, okay. Well, I probably will start from the very beginning, like uh, my career, actually. Uh, well, initially, I wanted to become a doctor. Ah, <laughs> really? Medical doctor? Medical doctor. Mm. But then uh, then I found out that it was a bit uh, complicated uh, to do that, especially in Indonesia. And... Mm. Uh, you know, like I was so interested in technology, but then it was also complicated as well for me to pursue this um, this career. What, uh, the what were the complications? Oh, sorry. Yeah, the, yeah, the complication is because I'm a girl. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. So in Indonesia, like during my time, it was not really expected to have a really high uh, career and mm. then um, like uh, you really need if you want to have a career it needs to be something that is meaningful and then it doesn't need to be very long then you are not too late to get married and uh, set up a family and then being a doctor is will take you at least 10 years to study and then doing the uh doing the internship and everything else to prepare mm. you to be a doctor. And then once you become one, uh, then you have to comply with a lot of a government regulation and policy that will take forever, basically. Mm. Yeah. And my parents yeah. say that it's just too much and too financially as well as the, in terms of this one, uh, the situation, it's not possible. So... Then the other thing that I was so interested in was doing something related to the technology. And uh, it was not accepted. Like uh, somehow, like I was so interested in the, like uh, at that time it was like a basic programming and then all this stuff. Um, I was so interested, but then it was not supported by the society that the girl learned something related to the computer science. So uh, I, I was a bit, stress because I wanted to learn about graphic design and visual design and then it's like no need just learn from uh, your friend and if needed and uh, anyway to cut the thing short uh, they suggested me to learn English uh, mm -hmm. so I can because and then learning how to become a teacher because that is a really like a high or uh, really like a needed position uh, education is somehow uh, not very important, but everybody has to pass the basic education. And if I become a teacher, I can be, have a career, even if I got married, um, to open my tuition classes mm -hmm. and everything. That's what I do. That's what I did when I was in uh, in high school, even as well as in um, uh, at the university. I tutored a lot of uh, students, like small children. Yeah. Uh, so I did that. I did my education because my parents paid for my university and I got a scholarship as well. Uh, so so I I did that. and But I could not go away from the fact that I love working with people. Like, mm. um, so 
I always like to create the created a research of anything that what I was doing. So, for example, I learned about um, uh, psycholinguistic and uh, sociolinguistic. Um, it's like a people say that I'm like uh, just walking against the wall because I always like to uh, raise very difficult issues that uh, that requires me to think totally, like uh, doing proper research to mm-hmm. understand to get the um, to get the insight from the user. So I try not to find things easily. And then I was interested in the in when I was doing my education. One thing that I was so fascinated is the CBT, uh, computer-based teaching and learning. Yeah. That time was not really popular, but I found it really interesting. And during my time at um, uh, the university, uh, university, during my bachelor, I was working throughout the, on from the very first day. I was becoming like a research assistant, assistant, whatever assistant. <laughs> So basically, like uh, trying to get connection with a lot of people as well as uh, getting the opportunity to go overseas. Uh, so going, o- going overseas was not easy because it was so expensive at that time. So uh, like, uh, after trying like uh, several years, I got a full scholarship from the government of J- Japanese government for me to study in Japan for a year. Mm-hmm. So I did the start. I did my uh, study um, basically only learn about language, in and culture in Japan, but I then I created a problem by myself. So I started my research that then becoming a thesis for myself. So I did uh, two things actually. Um, it was required only one, but I did two things. One is like I did a research on uh, how people using the technology to learn new language, English mm-hmm. as a second language. Mm-hmm. So I became the assistant professor who actually doing uh, introducing the MIRC, how to teach people to um, to learn English because Japanese people was very shy. So yeah. how to encourage them to talk to each other. So they use MIRC. And it was really interesting. That was one of the most fascinating time for me. Like uh, I, I go to school from uh, 7 o'clock to 10 o'clock every day, just doing a lot of stuff like that. And it was just so fascinating because I was by myself. And and then uh, then I did another study, um, was actually trying to understand the Japanese people because I had... Uh, I have a really like a strong heart, like a compassion for Japan. And then I was sleeping in the Japanese church and then I was serving the Japanese um, missionary. They study Indonesian so they can mm-hmm. descend back to Indonesia. And uh, so uh, I also uh, trying to understand because my work, not work, paid work, but it's like a volunteer work was related to people and then I was learning a lot about Japanese culture and that was really fascinating for me and then I took personally like a deep insight about the Japanese people and I did a study about suicide and <laughs> so so it's learning from the um, uh, Japanese novel about the the uh, the uh, the, um, uh, the 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 what is it the topic of suicide mm. that the how people like uh, commit suicide and the, in the old society and then in the current society because at that time there were so many cases on suicide mm. so with my work and in my context I got a lot of access to understand this thing better that was around two thousand ten not two thousand 2000, yeah, that was in early 2000. So I started to get interest on this user research. I did not know what it was called. And then about the technology and trying to understand. Like I was so curious, like I got so many people like uh, uh, interviewing people. And then in 2001, I was helping Josh, actually. And Josh how, did you, how did you meet Josh? Josh is your partner, co-founder in the UCX yeah. uh, Insight Company. No, the yeah. in uh, Indonesia. 
Yeah, that's that's true. Um, yeah, we uh when we had we just we had a chat. We started this uh 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 when we we were from the same university, mm-hmm. and then uh, we actually like uh, work together to get sent to Japan uh to get a scholarship to get to mm-hmm. Japan, but he was the one who get first and I did not get it like the first year so I had to work really hard. Uh the next year I was like a uh, uh did not no I mean like I only one got accepted and I got mm. accepted the, uh, oh, the year good. after. Yeah. So um actually that is like a where we kind of like a having a lot of conversation and then we had a, okay well that was really interesting that uh and uh, trying to understand the people and the technology, he was so he was because he was uh, background was in uh, computer science and he mm. was doing a lot of research in uh, artificial intelligence and things like that. And so then, you had um, a good complement of skills then between you. Yeah, it was. Yes, uh, yes, it is. It is. It was, and it is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, because uh, at that time, then uh, okay, let's uh, then. Because Josh got an opportunity to study in Denmark, and then he was doing the work. Uh, he he was in, at DTU where Jacob Nielsen studied as well, and and he was kind of like influenced by a lot of things that um, Jacob Nielsen has been doing. And for and people who then, don't know, Jacob Jacob Nielsen is one of the more senior uh, usability. Um, experts yes. in the world. Yeah. Yes. Yes. At that time, it was not that big, so he just started this company as well. Uh, but like, yeah. Then uh, we found out that uh, well, the interest was quite the same. So he was doing uh, research on um, uh, usability testing, heuristic evaluation for at that time was uh, like an Oracle portal, and then I was like a. I, 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 he asked me for help, like, um, okay, would you be able to help, like, uh, assist, like, uh, this process? Because uh, we work together, like, uh, apart from this um, thing that we we were competitors in the Japanese mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we work together in a lot of, uh, uh, like, a side research. So, um, yeah, so I, I helped him doing a lot of uh, proper UX thing that was in early 2001. And then... Um, uh, uh, analyzing how people perceive the um, uh, the website and the portal and all these things, I started to know a lot of stuff from him. Yeah. And then after that, um, when he get, got back to Indonesia, then uh, we started the company UX. Mm. Not at that time, it was not UX Indonesia. Yeah, it was uh, uh, called uh, Translate Easy. <laughs> So the name was translateeasy.com. Uh, so because a lot, at that time, uh, uh, website just started to get popular and a lot of the website was in um, in English. And then what is important is that we need to make whatever resources that is available in English to Indonesia so because my background also in linguistic as well, so I would be able to do that, like uh, doing the adaptation, but from the perspective of user interface, uh, human computer interaction, how to uh, have all this information like uh, transferred to Indonesia in like a kind of like a contextual manner. So so we, we provided a lot of resources to the local people, but the local people like uh, just look at us like a, who are these people? Like uh, talking about the language that we did not understand. So we started this one because we knew that it is it was a big thing uh, in Scandinavia. And then, uh, yeah, so I did not have a lot of uh, knowledge or background or anything, so I learned everything by myself at that time. So just the, the interesting coincidence of of. Denmark and you know contact with Jakob Nielsen and people as well. Yeah, so we started this company because okay, well it was quite inspiring what Jacob has been doing. But mm. the thing is, like, uh, when Jacob started, like, uh, it was in US, everything was ready and people was just accepted as it was. 
we started things almost at the same time as when he started his company. Uh, maybe like a, he was like a two or one or two years before that. But then, uh, yeah, we were very slow because mm. uh, <laughs> different con- different context. <laughs> we have to teach people from the very beginning, like so we got to provide. Uh, we had to provide all the services freely as a part of the hardcore services that we provide. So mm. we have to put this under the radar of them. Like, okay, now you want to translate your website. Okay, let's do the translation for your website, right? Uh, but then uh, then, but then, but we did a user research and they said, how come your the result is so good? Well, we do this and this. this. And it's like uh, when Joe started doing something on the technical side, the creating a blueprint for the company or like a planning requirement and things like that, why is it so good? Well, we did a user research. But when we said like, so you had to introduce it in the back door in a way. Exactly. That's what that's what we did. So So was there any problem with you was there any problem with you being a girl doing this as well because you talked about at the beginning, you know, being a girl, you couldn't do <laughs> medicine that you wanted to do or uh, and some of the other things. Yeah. So was there any problem with being a girl and starting up a company? In uh, Indonesia. Being a girl yeah, being a girl starting a company was not a problem, but being a girl starting a technology-related company, it was a problem. Uh, but unfortunately, so, but fortunately, uh, I did not do it myself. So uh, in the beginning, it was Joe's who actually like facing the clients. So, so uh, and then also uh, because in Indonesia, you, uh, you are, uh, how do I say at that time, like uh, education was really important. So having a higher education from overseas, uh, like what just have, uh, that was really helpful to, you know, like uh, mediate, like uh, making people really believe that uh, what we know what we are doing and then uh, why we are doing what we are doing. But then after that, like, uh, okay, now, it, uh, I have to do my study properly, so I did. Um, then I <laughs> and then I went to Denmark. So you do it first, <laughs> and then you learn how to do it. <laughs> yes, and uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because because otherwise I won't I won't build my confidence uh, because I, I I don't believe in like uh, learning something without knowing that I would be able to do it. Like so. I would try to do it myself and then uh, see how it goes because it is an investment and that is the privilege of um, for me at that time. It's a privilege for people who got everything. And if you have nothing, then it yeah. is not a privilege. So you have a cho- you have, you need to choose what needs to be done. So so at that time, I I had a problem like a. I have this company, started the business. Then the problem was um, how I can improve my, you know, like my skill. And then when I wanted to improve my skill, how do I go there? How how do I bridge that one? Because my background was in education and in language. Who would believe me doing the technology stuff? So uh, I found... What Jakobo has been doing, you know Jakobo, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so he's looking for people doing interdisciplinary. So I don't know what I was doing. So anyway, <laughs> I put my application and it got accepted. <laughs> That's great. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I got accepted, and school was free. Everything was free at that time. So. Uh, yeah, I got this privilege to study in Denmark for two years and it helped me to build a lot of um, foundation for me to learn more about the interaction design and how I see myself like uh, into this uh, this landscape. And yeah, so so then as I as I said to you before, I always look for trouble. <laughs> so what <laughs> So when I was doing my 
I was doing my master, I did something, I did a lot of crazy things. So, for example, for example, I was the first person went to Kai, and there's like a volunteering at Kai, and then like a submitting papers to the conference. And then it's like, why are you doing this one? This is for um, uh, this is for PhD. And it's like, well, I want to do this one. It's um, it's it's fun. So I took 2004 as my first guy in Vienna. That was the best guy ever. <laughs> That's amazing. And this is all as a master's student. As a master's student, because you know, like nobody, like at that time, I was not. Oh well, you're you're not doing master. You are not. You don't you don't necessarily to do all of this stuff, and I was like, I want to do it. I pay myself like so. I I just went and then do a lot of things, and that's actually helped me to meet, build my network, and build my confidence in knowing a lot of stuff. And and then that was my first like a troublemaker thing that I did. <laughs> and then the second troublemaker troublemaking thing that I did was actually like um. um do you remember? Uh, so that was in 2013. So we had to do participatory design activities when we had to do uh, ethnography research. This is as part of the company or as part of the masters that you're talking about? No, it is. It was part of the master, but yeah. it was part of my master yeah. project. Yeah. So, so that was the thing that it's um, uh, actually uh, changed my life a lot. Uh, because um, when I did my research uh, on uh, ethnography research or participatory design research, so I tried to do something which was like a different from everybody else. So everybody else went to a company that has a product. So that's what we are thought of uh, doing, like a designing a product, designing, uh, it doesn't necessarily need to be like a digital product, but it has to be product, like a tangible thing that will be, um, you know, like a people can see what it is, mm, even like a yeah. hospital bed or something like that. So I, 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 I said, well, uh, I don't want to do product. I want to do something else. So, and this, they, they disagree with that one. But I said, like, I want to do this and try and see. And then, um, um, so what happened is like a, I went to the shopping center, supermarket. So I did a research, like a doing a participatory design in a supermarket. And then I, I tried to convince them, right? Even in the supermarket, in the intangible thing, in the things where you never see that design can be done, you can actually design something, right? Mm. So for example, you can design the way people get in and out, you can design how you like the surface should be designed and things like that. So it was a really big thing that uh, people said, uh, well, it was not a um, user-centered design and everything, what I was doing. I said, well, we have to reposition the way you perceive, right? Like uh, not just the product, but it has to be the surface needs to be designed, right? So they, they did not agree with that one for so many uh, so many months but then I I then for my thesis so uh, they they could not help me like uh, okay well this is your research is on supermarket it's like a market research nobody cared about that and then and then I said like uh, well anyway this is my life and I want to do it like uh, I want to see if this is something uh would be useful but that's that's a lot of confidence. That's you know, like on the one hand, you talked about not feeling like you had the credibility to do the work because you didn't have formal education. But on the other yeah. hand, you have a re- you seem to have a re- seemed to have had a really strong sense of what you cared about and the way you wanted to play out your interests. You know that you were prepared to stand up and make trouble about doing work in the supermarket and in a service context. I mean, and, and now, of course, service design is sort of a standard thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, exactly. that was very innovative for its time. Yeah, so it was 2013. Mm. So it was 2013. And uh, 
And I, I finally, like, uh, because nobody helped me to find a company because mm. they thought my research was on the supermarket. Nobody really cared about that. That was a, not a participatory design about that. So, so I find myself, my company, and then actually I found out that there is a company wants to accommodate me for doing my thesis. Mm. And that company was IBM. Oh, very and, good. <laughs> So IBM then was very uh, yeah just a small one just an idea. <laughs> <laughs> so I moved I moved to Aarhus. So so when I was in Aarhus, I I kind of like um, was getting a lot of help from Kim Halskov. Um, you know him? Yeah. So he was like uh, giving me place for me to study. Oh well, I was so happy uh, because I kind of like I did not get a lot of support from that one. So uh, in 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 um in in Aarhus, so I did my research on this uh, supermarket, and they support me because oh nobody's doing research on this one. This is so exciting and things like that. They sent me to to Germany and then doing this uh, RFID stuff. You know, remember in Rheinberg they had this uh, stuff when uh, they put this uh, trolley supermarket trolley with the RFID, and then that was like finally like uh, I put together my thesis and then um, yeah so my my uh, master was actually not UX so I did uh, I did something bold was which was repositioning UX mm, yeah. <laughs> looking UX from a looking looking UX from a different perspective which was not product but actually you can create a, a service from the you design a service from the uh, from the everyday thing that you mm. have and then i was very surprised that uh, actually like uh, in 2004 uh, in 2014 there was an article like that uh, there was a researcher who went to uh to my university in denmark and uh, she wrote something and that uh, writing was actually like uh, the first i think the first writing in service design mm. Mm. So you mean 2004 or 2014? Because you, didn't you do your master's in 2002, 2004? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. <laughs> like, time, okay. just, time just flies. Oh, yeah. ten, 10 years. Who am I? I'm so old. Okay, 2003. Yes, 2003. Yeah. Yeah. That was when I started my, my crazy thing of doing the supermarket thing. I graduated in early 2004, right? And then in July in 2004, there was an article, somebody doing, it, doing something in the supermarket. So one thing is I'm happy that uh, they started to open up their mind that the uh, supermarket is one way to look at the user center design. Mm. It's not just yeah. like a Noldus or Lego or anything. So... Um, but then, well, I am kind of like a not uh, writing a lot of publication on that one. Uh, but supposedly if I wrote something that I could write the first surface design article, but I don't mm. know about that. Mm. It, would be, it, would be, it would be different, but I did not get that support like in the beginning. But anyway, that's what I, what, that's what I always do. Like I always start taking things too early and uh, <laughs> sometimes I go to the, so were you still involved in the company in Indonesia at this time? Like were you actively involved in the company or had you just stepped back from the company a little bit while you were doing your master's, saying you weren't in Indonesia, you are in Denmark? Oh, yes. Ooh, I moved things to Denmark because in Indonesia uh, it's only occasionally because it was more on a growing awareness than making the business. So. It's like I continually growing the awareness of people and um, growing the awareness of people about uh, things what we are what we are doing and then like a, it actually why I said it changed my life. Then you ended up doing a PhD in Perth in Western Australia. No, that was still a long way to go. Oh, <laughs> so I ended up doing my PhD in Finland. Oh, in Finland. Okay. Did you live in Finland for a bit? I lived in Finland for two years. So what happened is that um, I got a scholarship from the government of Finland 
and then um, that was to do something related to the um, the technology and then education and then UX. So I did uh, my research in uh, mobile learning for education mm-hmm. and how we can put that design. Right. And then I did that for two years, uh, usually like uh, the government only support for six months because I did a really good, they supported me for a year and plus. Mm-hmm. And, but then it was, it got really hard for me uh, because uh, everything has to be self-sufficient. I'm not EU citizens and it was really hard for me to survive uh, in that situation. So I decided to give up. Uh, actually, I just need to submit my PhD thesis. Mm, just. <laughs> but I just. So I just. give up my I give up my two year study yeah. and I really hope that I would be able to continue. Mm. Uh, well, in, in a year I'm going to submit my thesis. You you still <laughs> are. yes i'm i'm still doing a um in my work i have the opportunity to study uh to work with a lot of teachers so i got a lot of that okay so you've been able to continue it as a thread of work that's tied in with your consulting work (laughs) yes uh yes it is more on a like a pro bono work that i'm doing that i'm going to Use it to write the book and write my PhD anyway. Right. So you're but planning to write a book on it as well? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Hopefully, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it hard to know. But, uh, yeah, so so I did that for two years in Finland, but then I could not survive um, because it was really hard to maintain this uh, lifestyle. So I went back to I went back to Asia and then uh, continue my RFID uh, mm. business and then it went really well. We changed the world um, for this one because uh, we have this company based in uh, in Singapore mm-hmm. and then in Singapore people know more about UX better than yeah yeah, yeah like uh, in other places yeah. And uh, yeah, so it went really well until one day I got an offer for doing my PhD mm. here in Australia. Mm. So that was a hard decision because kind of like a, I was on the top of my career as the, yes. doing the RFID and things like, uh, should I give up or should I do things, um, you know, like uh, uh, in PhD, I, I became a student again. Yeah. So, uh, what was the what what were the deciding factors for you to to choose <laughs> stepping back from being the top of your career to going back to being a student, and and it involved moving country yet again. <laughs> yes. Uh, what was the deciding factor? Well, I would see that um, uh, from the context. Uh, from my very first beginning, like uh, I wanted to do PhD, that is like a one. And I would not die peacefully if I don't have my PhD. So. Is, that, is that because you always wanted to be a doctor? Uh, no, 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 no. Because 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 this is like a what this is what happened in Indonesia. If in Indonesia or in Asia, uh you would be able to make a lot of impact, uh, more impacts to more people if um, you have um, the enough education. Right. Like so, yeah, you've said that before, just about reason for going on and doing the Masters and that as well. So the education is not just for your learning but for enabling you to do what you really want to do because that's what's needed for the credibility. Yeah, and always, like, as you know, I always make trouble because I want to start something new. I want yeah. to break the, the, the norms. I want yes. to go out, out, outside the box. And if I don't have this the PhD thing, right, it's, it's not about the 
myself like uh, if you honestly ask me like uh, is it because is it because then you have a doctor or nurse yeah. or something like that <laughs> whatever whatever it is yes well to tell the truth i don't really care about that i don't really use that one a lot mm-hmm. especially having lived in europe and in scandinavia for such a long time um i would uh i'm more convenient to be called unis than dr unisari mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but then as a person there uh, who need to uh, who live in in this region that i cannot deny but that uh, that role is not role it's that uh, you know that position is very important uh, it actually helps you uh, to uh, share to people helps you to make a difference and help you to change a lot of things that has not been able to change for so many years. So it's kind of like an enabler. <laughs> yeah, so you, you you have clearly sort of a, an entrepreneurial spirit, but it doesn't seem to be driven by becoming famous or making lots of money, but enabling you to make that difference and to do the troublemaking and, and um, <laughs> that, that you want to do that you think is important. And because you've also talked about pro bono work, and I know that, you do an awful lot of volunteer work and supporting of people, whether it's, you know, say in the in the schools and working with teachers, and also in the professional community with your um, service roles. Like you're currently, you know, in the Sigkai community, you're vice president of um, chapters or something, isn't it? And so, yeah. t- can you talk a little bit more about where that service ethic and comes from? or why oh, well, that's important to you i mean like uh, i it's it's probably coming from the fact that uh, when i started stuff like uh, when i uh, have a lot of ideas and i wanted to start something everything was so expensive uh, expensive means mm-hmm. that um, uh, it's not easily available resources wise uh, you know like a support wise and I got that uh, I was so I was so lucky and I was so blessed that I I was able to get that from a lot of people. Like I say, for example, like uh, people like yourself, people like uh, um, like uh, in the Sikai community, people in the uh, different kind of community. They they kind of like uh, sharing things like the uh, voluntarily, and that was just really like um, inspiring for me. And I said, like, uh, if I get this, all all of this for what? I don't really have to pay a lot of money for this one. Why don't I make it, why don't I make it available for people who actually mm. need it, right? And and then, I mean, like, uh, one at one side, I need to survive. Yes, I have my own company. If I don't work, then I will not eat. But then... <laughs> I, I my heart cannot just stay still like a knowing that people you know yeah. like they are unable to get things so so becoming so for example Sikai uh, chapter even before I become a Sikai PB chapters I kind of like a volunteer okay what can I do to help you what should you do and um not just for my Indonesian chapter you know Kayu excited things that I uh that and I started there was a lot of a labor of love like uh, we don't get paid for anything no, for that one yeah so this is a this is a you a big conference in Indonesia that Eunice and Josh you have organized that I had the privilege <laughs> to attend one year that was really yeah. good but it's about that was that's a labor of love to grow the local community and to increase yeah. knowledge and expertise yeah yeah so so we do a lot of uh, um we can we can't de- we, we, I don't deny that uh, I also have to work as well. Some of the work that I'm doing is not free. Mm. Uh, it's, because it has to be to like eat. a... Yeah. You have to eat. Right? <laughs> you put things on the table. But I, I also like, uh, for example, say for example, now the things that I'm doing that have benefited thousands of people is the meetup things. So for example, like uh, the meetups, like a... Uh, uh, 
you know, like a, a lot of people who never heard about what you are doing, what other people are doing around the world, they can learn. And that actually builds a society. And when when the society is built, then the, the impact is to you as well. Then you can have a better conversation. You can you can do a lot of stuff like that by doing that. Yeah. So so that's basically what I'm why I'm doing a lot of volunteer and you know like uh, my my love language is service. Mm. So it's very natural for me to do service thing. Um, it makes me feel you know like a feel fulfilled and I feel uh like what is it like a being part of something <laughs> so i think that's and you have had a you have had a big impact um in the sort of asian community and and the community more generally yep. that's something that um actually really like a uh, rewarding when uh, people out of the blue send you messages on the uh, Oh yes, then I know you. I know you so much. I've been following you for the last three years, two years. Okay, why didn't you tell me that you're following me? <laughs> and then it's like they just like a uh, looking things what I'm doing, and then like a uh, following things up. And then like uh, they said like uh, now that I become a uh, like a UX people, thank you. It was because of you. What did I do? I didn't do anything. Mm. Well, well, you did like a uh, you do a lot like. Um, Okay, well, that's good. Like, uh, if they kind of being like, a role like, model as well as the actual sort of service, is it? Yeah, I, maybe <laughs> depending on the people. I guess it's like uh, everybody can take it, whatever they want. Yeah, <laughs> that's brilliant. So you you talked about the company and the people, all your staff, and how it's been challenging recently in having to think about digital transformation and how they're having troubles working from home. Um, how many people do you have on your staff now? How many are in your company? We, we have about 10 people right now. Uh, so we, uh, we have about 10 people at whom we work together and then um, support each other and a lot of people they are not able to survive throughout this condition. Uh, one, of, one of the reason is like uh, as I said to you before, the role of face-to-face and uh, physical connection is very important. That relationship building. Yeah, because uh, sometimes like uh, some people they feel that it is important for you to look what they are doing and get the direct feedback. And that's something that we can't do all the time through this connection. So those who survive are those who are successful usually, like they stay with us very uh, long time. Yeah. And then uh, usually like uh, they have a really good work ethic and without me, like uh, because I don't really like micromanage people, like uh, my Mm -hmm. style of Mm -hmm. working is more like I give you uh goal you need to achieve yeah and then you sort it you sort it out yourself right yes like a more like a western minded but that did not work so i learned from my mistakes so i have to be keep more specific keeping a direct instruction oh that's interesting so you, do you think that's a, that's very much a cultural context that the the Western mindset about leadership of empowering people to achieve their goals, but just giving them clear goals. Yeah. It doesn't work in yeah. Indonesia because people need more structure, do they? Or more Yeah. I would I would not make like a generalization because my company is small. Uh perhaps like a company uh, where people like uh, the graduates are from overseas they might be able to um, level up the way they think like uh, the way they manage their company uh, because I think every company every company is very different but especially in my company uh, when I when we started like uh, we changed the name to US Indonesia I think in early 2013 uh, we changed it to from translate easy because I kept receiving translation than receiving UX work. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so I 
I said I changed it to UX Indonesia because people know me as a UX Indonesia, so I mm-hmm. changed it to UX Indonesia. So, um, what, what, what did, <laughs> what did we talk about? So just, just it? your leadership style, your management oh, style, yes. and adjusting yes. to the local context. Yes. So that's where I actually I started to have the a lot of people working for us, like physically, and. Yeah. Um, even like when I started to use the OKR, like uh, because I'm I'm really active. OKR at being but uh, OKR stands for objective key result. Yeah. So the objective key result. So actually, you ask your people, like uh, the leadership or the management or the team leaders, who think together, what is the objective you want to achieve? For example, in three months, four months, and then. What is the key result you want to achieve, and then, um, and then you then started to break down to what needs to be done, right? And uh, uh, that was um, exercise. I, I love to do that, and I, I, I use that one with a lot of startups around the world whom I mentored them. Um, but then when I started to do that in my company, it is. Not well, it was not working well. And that's interesting. Uh, so you can do it with other companies that you're consulting with. Yeah. 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 So the company, they are not in Indonesia, mostly they are overseas. So I don't know if it relates to the way people think or the way they got brought up. They used to be, because it's a completely new way of thinking. And um, and that's why we then we, uh, then we started, okay, I created the objective and the key result and they will start to think about what is like the under the key result of objective, especially my team leaders. And then uh, they they were able to do that after some time. It took time for them to do that. Mm-hmm. And after that, um, and after that, uh, like uh, uh, a lot of them, like, uh, okay, just tell me, like they give me example what to do. Uh, and then, like, uh, then we do it properly, meet mm. the standard. Mm-hmm. Um, it it is probably uh, there is a kind of like a gap of knowledge or something, uh, because the work that I'm doing is sometimes it's quite high level, um, that requires a lot of uh, uh, what is it like uh, experience as well as yeah. exposure to a lot of different things. So it's it's probably not that they are unable to do it, but um, they probably are afraid to make a mistake. And making yes. a mistake is a deal in Indonesia as well. Right. Um, okay. Which is interesting because one of the, I don't know, trendy, but it's not just trendy, it's actually sort of very effective uh, theories coming out of a lot of organisational psychology research is around the notion of psychological safety and making it, okay for people to make mistakes because that's how we learn and grow and develop and there's a company in that um but yeah the, the the cultural the different context and cultural overlays on that what what would you say yeah. is your core strength as a leader well i'm uh, um i'm good at uh, making a new business mm. um, making uh, trouble creating new opportunities that people, oh, well, that's a new product and mm. new things. And, uh, people love it, like uh, uh, sometimes because they never thought about it. And then um, I'm good at following up and complete it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. And uh, <laughs> so that is uh, the, the my strength. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm quite detailed in a lot of things that I'm doing. So I have a really high expectation on um, how people do things and not necessarily have to be on my standard, but yeah. it, has to, it has to be done properly um, uh, because, uh, yeah, so in Indonesia, UX is a quite a new thing and I don't like shortcut. So I teach people. I teach my staff, I teach, I keep a training for them. You really want to be caught as a UX, so you have really need to go through this process mm-hmm. because I would, not, I would not approve someone 
So people would not have this uh, UX title in my company unless they go through this uh, certain process and certain right. time. Yeah. yeah, because because a lot of people go to my company in uh, three days and suddenly they got a position as a UX mm. in other company. Mm. And I didn't, they just come for like a, what it is, like a, a job, job trial or something like that. And then they got a job thing because they said that they are doing UX. But they, I mean, like I hired a lot of people, like uh, I know that they are like a manager, lead UX and blah, blah, blah. And then uh, when you really ask them to do a proper UX process, the quality standards are important. And I guess when you're being a pioneer and establishing this within Indonesia, it's important to set those standards because you're the one doing that defining of what it is. So is there anything you wanted to add to that? Oh, no, it's just that uh, it's not that I want to make things difficult for you to get into UX, but mm. it's just that... Um, uh, if you really want to do things, uh, you really need to know that it is not just um, a title that you yeah. can put lightly, because being a UX is not difficult. It's not easy. You really need to know a lot of things, and you really need to have a skill to know things, so you can make a difference and make an impact to other mm. people. Mm. Because otherwise, the role of UX will be faded. Yeah. And then a lot, a lot of companies in Indonesia they are still trying to buy in whether they want to do UX or not. Mm. Um, but if your action does not show how you do UX properly, a lot of company comes to me and they complain. I yeah. don't believe in UX, yeah. so that's something that I want. Yeah. I don't want to happen. So that's a that's a big responsibility for. Yeah, creating those quality standards then. And again, I hear underneath that it's motivated for making an impact and making a difference. Yeah. yeah. So you also talked at the beginning about one of the pluses for you of these interesting COVID times is you actually get to stay at home more and the time with the family and that because you're not travelling so much. How does family fit into all of this? Because it sounds like you've just been so busy over the years doing so much and living in so many different countries and then based, you know, more recently based in Australia and having the company in Indonesia and travelling backwards and forwards. Can you talk about that side? Mm, yeah. Um, so, yeah, well... Ah, uh, my family is a very um, independent. Each of us, like mm -hmm. uh, because I know that my work requires a lot of traveling. So even when my uh, my kids they are in uh, six years or maybe seven or eight years, if you ask them uh, to do anything themselves, from cooking to washing dishes to cleaning the house, they could do it. Wow! So. So I I don't have to do anything. Basically, I'm a happy mom, and <laughs> they do things. Uh, they do things like um, properly, uh, and uh, yeah. So I I don't have to worry. So that's why when I'm traveling, like uh, that thing is not is not in my head. Yeah. The thing is that um, uh, important is that uh, I my 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 kids they are right now in the place where they really need a lot of uh, attention, having you not just as a parent but as friends sitting with them mm -hmm. and uh, trying to understand the situation, the changes mm -hmm. they've been going through. And it is really like, a, uh, how do you say this in English? It's a blessing in disguise. Yes. Um, having work from home, yes. it's, uh, it somehow makes you available like uh, when they want uh, to talk to you, when they want to get some advice. Uh, and also it's good for me to learn how to set a boundary. Things mm. like, uh, okay, I want, you know, like uh, the whole time, the whole day, like in my life, I started 8 o'clock, finished 10 o'clock. 
every day at night. It's like in front of computer, right? Long and days. It's long day, but I I always make my uh, family priority, um, like an offer to go. Uh, so I would say, okay, let's doing this uh, uh, this time and this time, and um, this is like uh, my time, like uh, just with my family. I don't want to be disturbed for anything else. Yeah, and then and then. Uh, we always make time, spending time a lot outside doing outdoor activities, and a lot of things that uh, we spend a lot of time together. So, I mean, like that is the the, the plus thing, having me being at home, uh, spending time with the family. But before that, uh, before that, like when I travel, we could, um. I spend hours on my phone, on my WhatsApp, on my things like mm-hmm. with my connecting family. back, so, talking to them, connecting back. Yeah. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. So, so that is thing that at least the least thing I could do, like while I'm struggling, I would not go to sleep without spending time with my like my kids and my husband. But that is really important. Yeah, because what, who, who 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 do you use that? Like, I mean, like, a, they are kind of like a source of your, uh, your, I mean, like, a, yeah, I mean, like, a, they kind of like a center of your life, like, a somehow. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. that's, I was going to ask as well, you know, because you're so busy and, and have, you know, are carrying such responsibilities, both in the company, in the volunteer work that you do, um, and the family, you know, where do you draw your strength? What's how do you look after yourself so that you can keep oh. giving in these ways? Mm. Well, I'm I'm learning to prioritize like uh, what is important, what needs to be done, and then I have my very long list of things I have things to do, mm-hmm. um, but like that is actually followed by my. My kids, they all have a list to to do list. <laughs> so, so I was quite surprised that uh, even my little one, they got a very long to do list. Like, what? Why are you doing like this? <laughs> so, so we st- I I started like uh, every morning uh, having time for myself. Like, uh, um, I I pray, I have a devotion, I walk. And that's actually to, um, you know, like uh, to present up myself. And then I started to, I'm, I'm, I will not start my day without doing all of these things. That's, oh, that's actually good. That's lovely. giving me some, you know, like a, you know, strength for you to do your day. And then I would end up the same thing at night. So, so that is the thing, like uh, to open and to close. Yes. And that where I, I found all my source of, uh, because, I mean, like, uh, of course, like, uh, sometimes I miss out, like, uh, things, but it's, uh, I found it, it is really um, stressing and uh, can be depleting sometimes um, because you got too much thing to do and then you, I don't, I, I won't be able to cope with a lot of No, stuff. That's, that's great. That sort of, that sounds so important to prioritise the book ending yeah. of the day with that yeah. time, yeah. So talking mm. of time, I'm just conscious of the time marching on and we should probably yeah. look at wrapping up. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you would like to say or um, any final comments? I don't know. Like uh, uh, you've been doing this wonderful interview with so many, like uh, to a lot of people, and it's it's probably more. I mean, like I, you know, Geraldine. I'm a storyteller. I can, I can tell you a story like the whole day. But <laughs> but you just tell me what you want to know. Then I will come up with stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, we may have to do another one. Um, so, yeah, I know. <laughs> so I so then Eunice, thank you so much for your time, and also thank you for being the amazing role model that you are. Um, in the innovations that you're doing and sort of, you know, being an entrepreneur and setting up your company and, as, as I said, in all of the service roles that you do and you bring that 
level. You talked about your attention to detail and seeing things through and you do that in all of your activities and it's been a, a pleasure to watch. And, you know, having such an influence in, in the region as well um, is, is really important. So a woman who makes a difference makes trouble. <laughs> Makes trouble makes to make a difference, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Lovely. Well, thank you very much, Eunice. Thank you, Geraldine, for your time. You can find the summary notes and related links for this podcast on www.changingacademiclife.com. You can also subscribe to Changing Academic Life on iTunes and now also on Stitcher. And you can follow Change ACAD Life on Twitter. And if something connected with you, please consider sharing this podcast with your colleagues so that we can widen the conversation about how we can do academia differently. <laughs>